like you how when you listen to what someone else is doing in their other classroom, it totally sparks an idea. Um, um, and so like, and I get ideas too, like, you know, and talking to you and I'm like, oh, that haiku thing sounds really, really interesting. Um, and I think about, okay, what part of that do I really, do I want to adopt? And what part is like too much for me? Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. Today, we are talking to Erica Johnson. Now, Erica teaches juniors and seniors at her local high school in Valonia, Arkansas, and she enjoys helping her students recognize their own voice in her classroom. She reminds us of the importance of sharing ideas with each other, and she's also going to share with us ways that she's creating community, engagement, and reflection with her students using blogs. Now, Erica's passion projects center on writing. She writes for the Teach Write blog, and she's just completed the first draft of her novel. Before we get started, I'm excited to plan season two of Design Lessons. Help me shape it just for you. Take 10 seconds to take the two-question survey sharing your number one challenges with teaching right now. And as a thank you for listening to the podcast and for taking the survey, you will be entered into a giveaway for a Starbucks gift card. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to Design Lessons, please do so. All right, so now let's meet Erica. I'm Erica Johnson, and I have taught for nine years now. I work in a school in Valonia, Arkansas. It's about uh, 30, 35 miles outside of the capital of Little Rock. So it's a very rural school district. Um, I've only worked there for four years, even though I've been teaching for nine. I taught at a charter school uh, when I was getting my start. Uh, and I mostly teach AP English language and college English to juniors and seniors at the high school. Very cool. I was just thinking, you know, when you were saying, um, I've talked to different people and everyone is from a different setting, but everyone has sort of all these sort of commonalities, like we're all teachers. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of, you know, feel like we have similar um, issues and like positive things that happen um, really across the, the nation, really. So, so I love how everyone's from a different setting and a different part of the country. Yes. So when you, uh, with your kids, you know, this has been with COVID and it's, you know, people have been doing blended learning and hybrid learning and so many different facets. Um, what are some ways that you feel like you've worked to build community and like relationships with your students? So I should probably start off by saying that I have yet to really have to deal with the whole virtual thing. Um, our school is mostly face-to-face. -face. Students have the option to take uh, virtual uh, or online classes, um, but I have not had a section of that yet. I'll probably get one in the spring. 
Um, but, you know, they're still in the classroom. I can't sit next to a student and write with them because there's still those social distancing norms in place. Um, so a lot of my community building, I feel like, has happened in our writing because I can see their writing on my screen uh, and I can send them comments and we can actually talk in person as long as they're, of course, six feet away. Uh, so a lot of, I think, our community building has been more writing based this year than I think in previous years. Oh, well, that is actually really interesting. I've been kind of thinking about, about this question um, myself. I was talking with my students. I had them in breakout rooms, and I have sixth graders. And um, and so I'm using the breakout rooms to help build community because um, a lot of the work that they're doing is asynchronous, is online. I'm, I'm working at a virtual school. And so when we have our team meetings, I really, besides obviously clarifying um lessons and things that they're working on. I'm really working on building the relationships. And it's interesting because we kind of debriefed after they were in their breakout rooms. Mm -hmm. And I found in talking to them, a lot of them preferred the chat, even though they were in a breakout room. And I thought they would be so excited to get to see each other and to talk to each other. But I also had to remember that they're in sixth grade, so it's their first time in middle school. So they don't have like that previous relationships with the people that they're with. And so, so I think what I'm puzzling through right now is um, ha- helping them to build their relationships and helping them to feel a little less shy about sharing with people that they don't know. So it's, <laughs> I feel like we keep going on a back and forth about that's interesting that you say that. Um, because I, when I found out I was going to meet with you uh, for this podcast, I decided to um, get some feedback from some of my students about what they felt with the whole blogging situation. Because uh, I've done some reflections and stuff with them throughout the year, but I wanted to intentionally ask them about things like community building through blogging. Uh, and that was actually something that came up was with the blogs that they post to their peers, it's not, they get to choose what they write about. They get to choose um, what they share and how they share it. And because they're making that choice, um, they're learning things about their peers that they wouldn't necessarily think to ask. Um, I think one example that a student shared with me was they didn't know that a peer of theirs had a pet mouse until their peer had written about it, owning this mouse, or they didn't know that a student enjoyed raising um, succulent plants because that's not something that typically comes up in conversation, like even between classes or anything. So it's like they're reading this blog about this person talking about the best ways to care for succulents. And it's like, oh, I never knew that about that student. Um, and so it's actually elicited a lot of um, bonding and I think understanding of each other that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't allowed for this sort of free choice, free reign on topics when it came to blogs. So it sounds like having the blogs be a place where kids can express themselves. And and that sounds so general, but, but like you said, giving them the choice, then as a result, they're sort of um, asked to or invited to really think about what's important to them and to write about that particular topic. And because they're, uh, is their audience their peers then? 
is that, and that's kind of how they, I mean, I know I get to know a lot about students from their writing. So this kind of takes it to another level where they're learning from each other from their writing. Yes. Um, I actually didn't think about, because one of the questions you had sent me to sort of, I guess, prepare myself for this interview uh, was the idea, of course, of real world opportunities. Uh, and that actually made me think, oh, I haven't really opened this up to real world. It's still been more uh, insular in type, in terms of, um, it just being their peers at the school. But as soon as you brought that up, I was like, well, what if I let them read blogs from other classmates? Mm -hmm. um, so now they're reading blogs from uh, different sections of my classes. Uh, and I didn't open that up until recently. But yes, it's mostly been with their peers. They don't really have like a, a true global audience yet. But because you've planted that seed in my brain, I've been trying to figure out uh, the logistics of how to maybe do that uh, in the future. Well, and I, I always feel like it's a um, like a stair steps, right? Mm -hmm. So starting kids off where you know they're writing for themselves, then they're writing and their audience is their peers. Then, like you said, they're writing and we're thinking, okay, what are we going to do when we publish this piece? Um, you know, because you think about it, if you have over a hundred students, um, not every piece is publishable. I mean, in the sense of it's publishable, yes, but in the real world, right? <laughs> you have, uh, say, you have a magazine. You've got editors. They're not accepting every piece that gets pitched to them. So maybe it's a matter of you know you're you're writing and then you're picking your best piece and you're pitching that piece to be published um, to someplace you know an outside world. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but um, that would be very, uh, another good next step to take would have them select pieces to maybe publish for real instead of just publish in the sense I use that word in my classroom sometimes just to mean another word for like a polished piece. Um, mm -hmm. But it still hasn't, again, broken through the school. So I really am starting to think, I think in the future about trying to find ways to get their writing out in the world, because I think that would be really cool for them to experience. Oh, yes, definitely. And I did something similar where um, I thought about audiobooks. I thought about Audible specifically, um, and I thought um, my students had just finished writing narrative stories, and I said, okay, well, we're going to create um, a um, – a library of audiobooks. And so in essence, we use Flipgrid for them to be able to publish their work. Now, and as you said, I, because they're in sixth grade, I did keep it within sixth grade. But at this point, they don't know each other. So they really do feel like they're publishing out to the public. Um, because once they put their work out there, there's, you know, a hundred other students um, who are listening to their story um, and leaving comments. So I, I do think that there, when I talk about real world opportunities, I do always like to think about what is the real world context for, you know, this particular project. Um, and then how can I um, approximate that for my students based on their age um, and based on their ability to put their, I mean, I think everyone has the ability to put their work out there, but I think sometimes you have to approximate the circumstances um, and then maybe, you know, look through that work and then see, okay, where might we then publish it, publish it further. I hadn't thought about it like that, but I do like that approach. Um, and I think I'm slowly starting to take that uh, approach a bit more as I've kind of matured as a teacher. But yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. 
For somebody who's just starting blogs, like what are the um, sort of steps that you took in order to create blogs with your kids? So I use a program called Kid Blog. Uh, My colleague at the school was using it for a different purpose. Um, And it was just very straightforward. You could gather everyone into one class, uh, which made it easier, of course, to like grade and get them um, looking at each other's without having to keep track of all these different like links. Like we were all just in one group on the kid blog. I would say the downside, of course, is that I do have to pay for a subscription for it. But ultimately, that was something I was willing to spend money on because it was something I really could see the potential in. Um, So they, it's a very easy setup. It can even be um, logged in through Google Classroom, which our school uses. And so they just literally have to sync their account Uh, And then they can just publish and you have different settings where you can keep it locked to just members of the classroom can see it. They can open it up to uh, a more public audience if I wanted it to. Um, And you can even have settings where you as a teacher have to approve like comments and posts before they get pushed out into the world, Uh, which I feel like has helped a lot in terms of. I know kid blog sounds really like cheesy and elementary middle schoolish, but I, I liked it because it kept the community together and it made um, checking for maybe uh, I don't want to say inappropriate because no one's really written anything inappropriate, but sometimes I have to come back and be like, okay, remember who your audience is. Uh, you don't need to be attacking people just because they have a different belief than you try uh you know, tweaking some of your sentences or some of your phrasing. Um, and I've only had that a couple of times uh, be, a, be a problem or concern. Um, but that ability of my control as a teacher, I think, has been the big reason why I've stuck to that. Um, not that I've necessarily looked at any other program, uh, but I know that other teachers who use blogging have done different things. And I just haven't done a lot of research into that yet. No, I've heard good things about um, kids, kids' blog. It's nice that, um, like you said, it's sort of a closed system that you have an opportunity to open up um, sort of as, as you're ready to. Um, yeah, that it's, it's actually, like you said, an easy system to keep track of all of your classes in one place. They each have a blog. They're able to design it themselves. Um, so there's a lot of sort of creativity and ownership that goes into creating um, the blog itself. But then you as a teacher sound like you have – um, some control over um, the amount of how public it is. Yes. Very cool. So when you think about creative and critical thinking, um, how do you feel like you bet embed that into the work that you do with your kids? So as far as creative and critical thinking go, um, a lot of it starts in the notebook. Um, which you've probably talked about before with maybe Michelle Hasseltine. I assume that's what that I get. I listened to that episode a while back and I think that's what the episode was about. Um, it definitely was one of the topics. Okay. We about a lot. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> um, so we started notebooking and uh, much like the blog can be about anything, their notebooks are the kind of the starting place. Like I give them prompts, but they can write about anything. Um, and so that's where a lot of the creativity starts is they get to choose what they're focusing on. Um, um, and what's been so interesting this year, and this this is not my first year doing blogs, but this was the first year I've done blogs in 
all of my classes. And I think I really, this is the year I've really got a handle on it. I would say last year was sort of a pilot year. I was testing it out in just one of my classes. Um, and the creativity comes from the choice. And this year has been interesting because I've seen more students choosing to use their blogs as a creative writing venture, which is not my original intent. Um, but it started with like one of the students asking me if they could uh, try out some of their short stories. I've had students posting some poems through their blogs. And it's just sort of exploded because then other students see that happening. And so they're more willing to try that out. They're like, oh, this person posted a little short story. I'm going to write a short story now. Or, oh, this person wrote an entry that combines a little bit of poetry and prose. I'm going to try that out now. And I'm not even saying anything. I'm not even asking them to try those things. They're just being inspired by each other, which has been so fascinating to watch um, how that happens and how that plays out. Um, and that's kind of where the critical thinking comes into play too, is they have to, of course, decide what message do I want to send to my peers this week? What do I want to say to them? What, what do I want to put out there? Um, and so there, there is a lot of thinking involved in that, uh, I think. And so how do you create an environment in which kids feel very comfortable sharing, um, like you said, their, their sort of spark of creativity that they've had in their blogs? Like what are the kind of the structures that you've put in place to kind of allow this to happen? One of them you've talked about is this idea of having choice over what gets to go in the blog. Um, and obviously you've invited them with different prompts and stuff. What are some other structures that you have in place that sort of allow this uh, creativity to exist, but also this um, a comfortability or being comfortable with each other? So I should have reviewed that part because it's very early on that I go through sort of the quote unquote requirements of a blog. Uh, I show them, of course, a lot of different mentor texts being different blogging examples. Um, and so there, there are some requirements as far as like there's a suggested word count that they try to aim for. Um, there is the expectation that at the end of the nine weeks, they will have to pick one of their blogs that they feel is, quote unquote, the best blog, uh, which will be graded for things like style and content. And I don't have that in front of me of what the style and content expectations are, but they're very broad. It's things like, you know, you're not just writing blog posts that are summary. They have to have some sort of um, significance to you or be reflective in some way. Uh, and I, oh, I wish I had pulled that up because that, that's kind of where that comes from. It's just there's a intention or purpose behind the blog post. And I mean, they can take it a creative bent, but there does need to be this element of sort of reflection and they're encouraged to, uh, of course, reach out to their peers. And I think what helped a lot too was having the requirement that uh, after each week of blogging, they have to leave three comments for their peers. Uh, and so by making them read other people's blogs, and I, I even have a structure for how to give that sort of positive feedback. Um, I do what's called PQP, which is praise, question, polish. I cannot for the life of me remember who I stole that from, but <laughs> it was in some writing workshop I was in. And I really just like that model to give them a standard for how to leave 
feedback that is both positive and can be constructive. Um, and so by just having this constant rotation of blog post one week, commenting on three other blogs the following week, I think that's what's really built the community because they realize that, oh, someone is going to possibly read my blog and give me feedback. So I want to make sure that it's a blog that they want, want to read and give feedback. Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard some students um, talking about that. Um, so I think that's been a lot of what's um, built that in, and I've already forgot the initial question. I feel so silly now. No, you're, you're fine. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about what you were talking about. But tell me the initials again for the, um, the strategy you're using for giving uh, feedback. Uh, PQP. Uh, P is for praise. So you always start with a positive, like a celebration or a praise of what you've read. Uh, Q is a question. So asking questions and inquiring into um, what's been written, whether that's uh, wanting to know maybe more about a particular aspect that the student shared or something. Uh, and then the one that's been the most challenging for them is the last P, which is polish. So it's making a suggestion for how something could be improved the next time. Um, and that's honestly what a lot of them struggle with because a lot of them are just, you know, they get so tickled just reading the content of the blog that they don't necessarily, they're like, I have nothing to suggest. This looks great. And while that's good, I keep trying to push them to look for things that, okay, well, there should, there's probably something that maybe could be done a little bit differently and just make that suggestion. And even if they don't revise it the first time, you know, maybe that suggestion will lead them to new ideas in a follow-up blog. And that's been really fun to see come out of it too, is when they're asking questions of each other or when they're making some polished suggestions, you start to see those things come into play in future blogs. Uh, and I've had several who in a following week will say something like, Someone mentioned in the comments that I should elaborate on this, so I'm going to put this blog post about this topic now. And it was it's just been really organic, I think, and uh, fun to watch. And I love that because it feels, as you said, organic. It feels authentic. Um, I think that having our peers as an audience is very powerful um, to the work that you're doing. So if I put out a blog post and you give me feedback on it and you're my peer, I might even listen in a different way than if my teacher is giving me that feedback. And I think you are absolutely asking them to do that critical thinking, that thinking like a writer and really looking at writer's craft um, we were working on this idea of critique um, with my students today. And so asking them to, um, they're doing book reviews, but asking them to really think about, okay, you're critiquing this and you're looking at the craft that this person put in to creating, in your case, you know, this blog post. And so when you're asking that polished question, it's, it's asking that student to kind of go back into everything they know about what they know about blog posts and, and good writing and asking them to apply that to what they're seeing in front of them. Exactly. Yes. So if you, um, you know, you've kind of, we've touched upon, right, mindset and relationships, real world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking. Um, when you think about an educators that maybe even embody like one or all three of these touchstones, um, who would you say that is for you? So for me, um, I, of course, already shouted out Michelle Hasseltine um, and then Andy 
uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, but uh, you, yeah, (laughs) you, uh, you interviewed him as too. And pretty much anyone from teach, right. Has been an inspiration to me to get to this point. Um, I really don't think I would be doing these things in class if it was not for that community of writers. Um, But I just have to shout out those two in particular because um, Andy was really the one that I had a conversation with him this past summer about AP classroom and not teaching to the test, which I know is super frowned on. But with AP, it's like a whole other beast because that's for college credit. And, you know, I can't remember exactly what he told me, but he said something on the lines of, you know, you're teaching writing. As long as you're focusing on the craft, they're going to understand the concepts for the actual AP exam. So don't worry about teaching the actual exam prompts. And I took that to heart and brought in blogs into my classroom because I like, you know what? Blogs are phenomenal in my English 12 college uh, English class. I really want to sing them in AP. Uh, and I even went to some online PD this summer with an AP teacher that uses blogs. And I was like, okay, this is clearly a sign that I need to be doing blogs. And blogs wouldn't have happened if I wasn't notebooking, uh, thanks to some of Michelle's inspiration. Um, and then I think the other kind of third educator that sort of probably isn't even aware that she inspired me, but I also did some summer PD with uh, Dr. Sarah Donovan, who's behind Ethical ELA. And a lot of her strategies with um, the five-day open write with teachers and, like, asking people to give comments to each other and just her commenting strategies are really, I think, another factor in what inspired this whole blogging thing to begin with. Um, Because I really felt that community uh, when doing ethical ELA, even though these were teachers I had never seen or really talked to outside of these posts, um, I felt, you know, comfortable sharing some of these poems and writings with them. So she's definitely someone that has inspired me and probably isn't even aware of it because I've only kind of been in some of her professional developments. I don't think I've interacted with her in the same way I have um, Andy and Michelle. And then, of course, I'm going to take this time to shout out my uh, English teacher team um, because they support me and, you know, inspire me in so many ways that I hear horror stories about other people's English departments. And I'm just like, I'm so glad I have a group uh, that is willing to, you know, support me and uh, let me try out new things with my classes. And I definitely have heard them say they've been curious about trying some of these things in their own. And I wouldn't have even heard about Kid Blog if it wasn't for one of them. So, yeah, the the people that we work with, I think, always help us to make us better teachers. Um, and it's great that you have such a great team, you know, to work with. And you mentioned something um, about professional learning, and that that you had taken the time. I guess it was last this past, maybe not this past summer, but <laughs> you know, taking the time, uh, to, you know, to attend this one. But we're also also learning through books and videos and podcasts and different things. Um, what are some books, videos, podcasts that you might recommend to others? So. I don't actually listen to a lot of education podcasts except for yours. I know that sounds really, I don't even know what that sounds like, but you're welcome. Um, I go, I go for more either like historical podcasts or um, my guilty pleasure of political podcasts right now. Um, But I would say as far as education wise, um, there was one book that also totally flipped how I approached um, college English, which that's where I really piloted this whole blogging thing to begin with. Um, And that's John Warner, who wrote a book Mm -hmm. called Why They Can't Write. 
And then he mm. also wrote a book called The Writer's Practice. Uh, and both of those have been very influential and integral in how I've approached um, teaching composition with the college English classroom. So uh, I definitely want to recommend people read him. Uh, why they can't write is definitely more for educators and sort of um, highlighting, you know, where we've gone wrong with writing curriculum and not just we as in teachers, but like we as like education as a whole. Um, and so that was sort of eye opening. And he mentions in that book some different things he's done in his class. Uh, and after I started digging, I realized he had published a second book that was like basically all of those uh, writing, uh, he calls them writing experiences, but all of those were in one book and that's uh, the writer's practice. So I've pulled a lot from that uh, to build my curriculum for that class because he just has some really great ideas uh, of how to approach writing in a more, I think, organic and authentic way uh, than I've seen, I think, in any other writing um, book that I've had to read. So shout out to John Warner. He, he's got some good stuff. <laughs> no, that sounds wonderful. And so if listeners in our community want to connect with you, where can they find you? Um, mostly on Instagram and Twitter at teachercap underscore E. Uh, and that's really the two places I hang out. Um, there's a link to my blog, I think, on both of them. So I won't necessarily give out the blog link for that. But those are definitely the two spots I'm at most when it comes to education. Erica, I am so glad that you stopped by. I think we learned so much about how writing and also specifically using blogs can really help us get to know our students better, help create community among our students, and also really fosters that creative and critical thinking um, for them. So thank you so much for sharing the stories about your students and the stories about your practice. Thank you for having me. This was just super fun to be a part of. And I know when I shared it with my students, they thought it was going to be super cool that their teacher was going to be interviewed on a podcast. So this was exciting for me too. Thank you for having me. On our next episode of Design Lessons, I'm sharing a strategy that will get you moving into 2021 with perspective and a smile on your face. Now, if you haven't already taken the two-question survey, take a few seconds to do that now. The link is at the top of the show notes, and you can find that in the podcast player that you're using right now, or you can go to michelleschmidtmore.com slash podcast slash 14. Until next time, designers. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.